Um, but we've been on this journey of looking what God has equipped us for and equipped us with. We know that we have a job to do. In order to do that job, you have to be equipped. Okay? You know one of the key components of being a truck driver is? You guys ever thought about this? Very key cog in the whole truck driving machine. You have a truck. So, yeah, well, I mean, a hat would helps, but you'll survive without it. You just will be not respected by the other truckers. That's how that works. So if I hire somebody to be a truck driver, what do I got to give them? I got to give them a truck, and maybe a little training wouldn't hurt either. You know, the thing is, is that we, as the body of Christ, have at our disposal everything that God has provided for us to do something for him on this earth. The problem we have is most of us just take a little bit here, a little bit there. Do you realize, and you may not know this, but the church today, especially in America, is not centered and focused on God. We are centered and focused on us. We are all about us and how we come to play and God's plan. We're always looking for the next great thing, whatever God has called us to, and so on and so forth. Some of that's not bad, but the problem is, is that we have taken our attention off of God and brought it on ourselves. What can God do for me? That's where we are. And so with that being said, we got to understand that everything that God has equipped us with has a purpose, and it is not so me-focused. Again, God cares about us. He loves us. He has a wonderful plan for our life. Doesn't that sound good? Isn't that VeggieTales? Is that VeggieTales? I think it is. That came out of nowhere. It's ingrained in you. You know, you watch it enough, and it just happens. So we're focused on the area of healing. Do you realize that God wants your body to be whole? But he also expects us to minister that same message and that same healing to those around us. Now, I told you guys over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to kind of recap and get back to where we were. We had a little uh, stop, a little break with Brian being here last week, is we're going to talk about the area of healing and get caught up again. And I told you, I'm going to be giving you guys some different testimonies, some from my life, some from other people's lives, and some from people I know. Today, I'm going to tell you about one that happened to me a couple of years ago. Now, let me tell you this story. We were here, and we were getting ready to go to El Salvador. If you don't know, Jim and his wife have a ministry to El Salvador. They normally go down there multiple times a year. They've been planting churches and funding operations down there. It's an incredible thing. Uh, talk to them about more. It's, it's really cool what's happening down there. Some great folks down there. But we're getting ready to go. I had not been on any kind of a missions thing for a long time. But one thing I know about most of those trips, there is a lot of walking. And two years prior to this trip upcoming, I had knee surgery. And ever since that surgery, I just, it didn't take much. If I walked on too many stairs, it would just swell up, it would hurt, I couldn't keep up. Um, I helped Amy's, I put a uh, sprinkler system in for her grandma, and I had to go up and down the stairs getting everything set. I couldn't walk for three days after I got done. You know, it was a real problem. So let me tell you why I had surgery, okay? I was playing old man softball. Do you know why they call it old man softball? Because old guys are trying to relive their glory days. And so sometimes we get a little carried away and our brain writes checks that our bodies can no longer cash if you get my drift. So here's what happened. I am playing center field. It was an all-star. This guy hits a smoking line drive. And it's off in, in the middle left field. And I take off on a dead sprint. And that ball is coming in hot. And just instincts take over. And I just, without thinking, went on full-on Superman dive. Catch the ball. Land, slide, roll over, stand up, ball in my hand. It's an out. Na-na-na, na-na-na. 
ESPN top 10. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? I wish that was a true story. That's not what happened. So what really happened, the old man softball part was correct. I, uh, I typically hit home runs. You know why you hit a home run? You don't have to run the bases. I didn't get it. I hit it short. So you know what I had to do? Run to first. You know what happened on the way to first? My knee popped. That's the story. Not quite as glorious, is it? I get to first base and I'm like, well, that hurts. So I did what any normal person would do. I went to the doctor. They thought I tore my meniscus. They weren't really sure. They were going to scope and take a look. Ended up not being a tear, but they had to remove a bunch of scar tissue and cartilage and a whole bunch of stuff. And I was under the impression it would just be a couple of days. I'd be up and moving and stuff like that. That's not how it worked. I was hobbled for a long time. It took a long time to recover from that. And I even walked with a cane for a while, if you can imagine that. That was not... My kids thought it was hilarious, but I, you know, wasn't enjoying it much. And so, no matter what I did, it never, it never was 100%. It was just weak. I'd walk downstairs every once in a while, it would just buckle. And if I did too much, it would just hurt. So here we are planning this trip. And I'm just like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep up. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. So we were having, uh, we are doing some times of prayer and fasting, getting ready for the trip. And I remember I'm sitting one night, and I'm like, God, you know, I just need you to heal my knee. Because I don't know if I can keep up. I don't want to be the one that's holding everybody back. I just need you to heal it. Okay, do you realize that was the first time I'd prayed for that? We're talking two years after the event, maybe longer than that, I don't even remember now. So, didn't give it another thought. We go on the trip, everything goes fine, we have an amazing experience, it was a great time, got to meet some awesome people down there. We get home, it's about a week or so after the trip, and I'm sitting there, and it dawns on me, my knee doesn't hurt anymore. First time, I hadn't even thought about it, I'm like, well that's interesting, that's good. So I thought, well... Maybe I should go lift some weights. Let's just try it. And again, remember, bodies can't cash them checks like they used to. But I took it really slow. And I never had a problem. So much so, I actually went and competed in a powerlifting meet about 12 months after that. Had no problem. Everything was fine. I've not had a problem since. Not one time. Now, how sad is it that I waited two plus years before I was like, hey, God, do you think you can do something about this? But that's the way we all think, isn't it? I mean, that's usually, it's kind of a last resort thing. But it has been, I have not had a problem with it since. Now, a lot of other things have hurt since then, but that one, been good shape. So I'm telling you this because this is an example. What was supernatural? Do you guys know what I felt when I made that prayer? Not a thing. Not one thing. Not, I didn't, there were no goosebumps. There was no light from heaven. I just prayed it. Didn't even give it a second thought. Off I went. And I haven't had a problem since. Praise God for that. You see, we have to begin to think differently. We have to begin to react differently. Do you know what our number one response is when we find out somebody has cancer? Oh, no. That's too bad. How serious is it? What stage is it? Or what doctor are you going to? What treatment are you seeking? You know what the last thing we typically goes, go to is, hey, do you mind if I come pray for you? Like right now? We don't do that because we've been so ingrained that we just have a response to anything bad that happens to us. We aren't thinking biblically. When you think biblically, when something like that happens, your natural response is, hey, I'm going to go lay hands on the sick. Do you know why? Because they will recover. That is thinking biblically. So we have to begin to change the way we think. And with that understanding, then we go into this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. It says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Now, this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. They were a little wacky. But when he says that we are Christ's ambassadors, 
You have to understand that. An ambassador is one who is standing in the gap for the one in which they represent. So we are Christ representatives on the earth. Now let's take a moment and let's look at the things we say and the things that we do and the things we go to and say, how are we doing at that job just by itself? I bet most of us say, you know what? We could do better. So we're Christ ambassador. And look what it says next. As though God himself were pleading through us. What is it? We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. You notice it doesn't say on your behalf. Is it not true that they need to? But who is this for? Christ. He's begging. Please. Because he wishes that none would perish, but all would have everlasting life. So as we look at this and we know, okay, God, I'm your representative. I got that. We have to begin to look and say, okay, well, what did Christ do on the earth? And we've read these, but we're going to read them again. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 says, Jesus went about all Galilee. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he was healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. His fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. Those who were with demon possessed, epileptics, paralytics. And he healed them. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So what did he do? Well, as we've said, he would teach. He would preach, and he would heal. Those three things, every single time. Teach, preach, heal. No matter where he went, that's what he did. He taught in their synagogues, he preached the gospel of the kingdom, and he healed all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. And what was the reaction of the people? The word got around, and what happened? More started coming to him. Why? He was God's ambassador on the earth. You see, Jesus represented the will of God on this earth. Do you think Jesus did miracles just because he was Jesus? Or did Jesus do miracles because it was a reflection of God's will, heart, and desire, and an example for you and I perhaps to follow? Because we did this a couple of years ago, but we studied church history and began to look at these miracles never stopped. In fact, they were in every circle of the world, any church denomination you went into, there was numerous examples of miracles all throughout church history. So here we are, we're looking at what did Jesus do? Do you guys remember that? From the 90s, WWJD, what would Jesus do? You guys don't remember this? Am I the only? Okay, all right. Did you have the bracelet, the t-shirt, all of that? Did you have any of your either atheist or agnostic friends that when you would get mad about something like, oh yeah, what would Jesus do? They throw it back in your face. Did that ever happen to anybody else besides me? Were you that guy? Thanks, Mason. It's a lot. See, the thing is, is that we were asking that question, what would Jesus do? How do we know the answer? What did he do? Well, he taught, he preached, he healed. That's what he did. What did he teach? The word of God. What did he preach? The gospel of the kingdom. What did he do to prove it? He healed. It's really that simple. So if Christ is God's ambassador and we are Christ's ambassadors, what should we be doing? This is not complicated, is it? These aren't one of those advanced story problems in math and stuff like that. This is pretty simple stuff. But there's one more thing that he did. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Which I preach to you also, which you also receive, in which you stand, by which you are saved, 
If you hold fast to that word, I preach to you unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. And he was seen by Cephas, the twelve, over five hundred brethren at once, whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James and all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one by one born out of due time. What was the last thing that he did? He died. Now that kind of seems weird. Because guess what? I don't know if you know this or not, but you're going to die too. Jesus was born. Jesus died. Same thing as you. So Jesus taught. He preached. He healed. He died. But was the big part of this? He resurrected. That's the cornerstone of the faith. Paul says so later on. That if Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, you are still in your sins. And guess what? My preaching is in vain. None of this matters. That's the cornerstone. You see, Jesus came out here for a purpose. His purpose was to teach, preach, heal, and ultimately be the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb, the one who takes away the sins of the world. But in Matthew chapter 20, it says this, And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, this is interesting. We often blow through this, and we often read this quickly and move on. Did Jesus come to be served? No. What was the church structure at this point? And forgive the word church, you all know what I mean. The Pharisees were looking for people to serve them, right? Jesus came as a forefront to that and said, forget that. Did he wash people's feet? Did he go to the women? Did he go to the tax collector? He wasn't looking for people to bow down to him. He came as a sacrificial lamb. A sacrificial lamb served its purpose, its master. Who was uh, Jesus' master? It was God. He was doing the will of the Father. So he didn't come to serve, but he came, or he came to serve, didn't come to be served. He gave his life as a ransom. How? Because he died. You see, when something is ransomed, something is being held back, and it must be satisfied before it is released. So through his death, life was released. Fair enough. You guys with me? I want to make sure you're getting this because we have to begin to ask the question, where do I fall into all of this? We have no problem accepting salvation. Yep, I get it. Jesus died. He was buried, resurrected. I'm going to heaven. Now I don't have to do anything more. But the problem is, is that is not the mindset of the early church. The mindset of the early church is like, oh my goodness, I have just been set free from this. From my sin, from my bondage, from my sickness. I've been set free. Let me take this message to all these people around me. Have you guys ever met somebody that survived cancer, gone through treatment, and someone? And what happens at that point? They become an advocate for cancer research. They will promote it. They'll talk about it. They'll talk about the hospital, their oncology. They'll talk about all of these things. Not just cancer, it could be anything. Let me tell you how great these people are. You guys ever get on Facebook? And they'll say, I'm like, hey, I'm looking for a good auto mechanic. Who do you recommend? And everybody has their favorite person. And the truth is, is their favorite person might be the only person they've ever used. They don't have anything to compare it to. But they're looking for somebody to be an advocate. And when you had a positive experience with somebody, you will promote them. You will say, yeah, use this guy. Use this gal. They're great. They're my favorite. You see, we have to get back to the ideas like, what What did Jesus do for us, and what does that mean to us? Do you realize he did not die so that you could gather on Sunday mornings and get an hour of teaching and a little bit of music and maybe take communion and see some people you like? Do you realize that that is a side thing? 
That he died for a purpose that we could be reconciled to him and therefore we should be so eternally grateful for that. We can't help but share that message with everybody. We can't help it. When you have been supernaturally healed of something serious, you can't help but say, no, let me tell you something. God heals. Let me pray for you. You can't help yourself. When you realize what you have been saved from, you will not be able to help yourself. You see, what I'm getting at is we need to be more like Christ. But we have to define those terms. Just like the WWJD movement that happened back in the 90s, for those of you that remember, some of you weren't alive back then, and that's okay. We won't hold it against you. We'll just bring in some coloring books and help you out. What was going on then is it was this movement, and it, was a, it had great intentions. Let's think about everything we say, everything we do. What would Jesus do? But what it became is we looked at the mindset of Jesus and be like, well, how did he respond? He responded in love. He was very compassionate. So you can't get angry. Do you realize that if getting angry was the downfall of humanity, we're all in trouble? You ever gone to the DMV? You ever tried to fix a computer? You ever have kids? You ever been married? I mean, the list goes on. See, we're looking at it from this moralistic standpoint. What would Jesus do? Well, he would, he would feed the hungry, and he would close the, the, the poor, and he would, he would shelter them, and he would take in immigrants, and he would do all of these things. But what do we see that he did? He taught, he preached, he healed. Ultimately, he died. You see, if we're to be like Christ, we have to see what did he do. And not only that, why do we need to be like Christ? You ever thought about that? We say that all the time. But do you really want to be like Christ? How many of you guys are willing to just take a beating? Hey, just grab them whips. Just let me have it. It'll be fun. Hey, I want to get hung from a cross. That'll be cool. I can die like Jesus. Do you realize that the apostles, every one of them were martyred for their beliefs? We don't like to be unfriended for ours. I mean, it's funny, but I'm, I'm serious. We've got to think about this for a minute. Is that, what does it mean to be like Christ, and why do we need to be there? Well, let's look at a few verses. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. Actually, verse 5. Let's, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Do you guys know who wrote 1 John? There's a hint. His first name is not first. It was John. And what did he say? We need to walk as he walked. Does that mean the, the stride length? No, of course not. What did he do? Everywhere he went, he taught, he preached, he healed, he ultimately died, he was resurrected. What else did he do? He confronted, he called out sin. There's a lot of things he did. But John here, being the greatest of all apostles, just ask him because he's the one that Jesus loved. He said, he who says he abides in him. Would that qualify for all of us in this room? I think we would probably say that. Ought himself also to walk just as he walked. In other words, we should say what he said. We should do what he did. We should live our lives the way that he lived his life. Let's look at another one. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants. Be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to do the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. Now understand the servanthood. Don't, 
let's just stop there for just a second. There was a master servant, a master slave thing that went on there. It was called indentured servitude, where if I loaned you money and I couldn't pay it back, I could work for you for a certain amount of time prescribed, at which point then my debt was released and we were good. And many of these people that were in those situations didn't want to leave because they had it better working for that person than they did on their own. So this is what it's talking about. Verse 19, for this is commendable. If because of a conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Now let's stop and break this down for a little bit. Because Peter has said a lot here. What he said is that it is good to be patient, I guess, for lack of a better term. What credit is it if you're beaten for your faults? In other words, you deserve it. That's not righteous. But what happens if you do good in the eyes of God, and as a result of that, you suffer? And in your suffering, you just take it patiently. And then he says, you were called to this because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example. So in other words, the way he responded is the way that we should respond. Was he wrongfully accused? Yes. Was he wrongfully killed? Yes, by the law's definition. Don't misunderstand that. You see, at any point in time, he could have put up a defense and said, no, 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 you got the wrong guy. He had done nothing wrong. Pilate declared it. He was found spotless and blameless. There was nothing about him that deserved death. But the people called for it anyway. They made up lies against him and all of that. And what did he say? Nothing. He was just turning his life over to God. God, you do it. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. That is the Father. So in other words... We tend to react emotionally when somebody comes against us. If you don't believe me, read the comments on Facebook. You'll see it right then and there. We tend to think we have to defend ourselves, our position, and what they say. Don't attack me. You know what that is? That is pride. I will show you. We don't owe anybody a response for the stance we take biblically. We do not have to explain why we stand where we stand. You don't owe anybody an explanation. It's God who said it. We didn't make the rules. We just follow them. So we don't have to explain ourselves. They can say whatever they want. He died to sins that we might live for righteousness. We have to understand that. So what is the example that he gave us? Well, he taught, he preached, he healed, he ultimately died. He died wrongfully, technically. But in that process, when they were falsely accusing him, he didn't open his mouth. He didn't need to. He didn't need to give a defense for something that wasn't there. Let's look at another one. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. 
Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, this is interesting. First thing he says, because of all of this, all the stuff that comes before that, we'll talk about that later. Be imitators of God as dear children. Now, here's the thing. What did Paul just tell us to do? Imitate God. Great. So whatever God did, we should imitate Him. Fair enough. How should we do it? As dear children. Okay? That should tell you something. If you don't like the way your kids behave, perhaps you start looking in the mirror first. Because they're little mini-me's. Hope I'm not setting myself up here. They're little mini-me's. Everything you say, everything you do, they, they, they imitate. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us. Now let's stop there. We love the walk in love part. Do you realize we can't define that? We've never sat down and said, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in love? What we have turned the word love into is this open-ended thing. You can love anything. If you love your wife, that's great. But if you love pizza, that's great too. I remember watching Pee Wee Herman as a kid. This is the downfall of humanity right here. And you know what he loved? Anybody remember this? I hope not. I'm ashamed that I do. Fruit salad. So you know what he did? He married fruit salad. Look at where we are in America today. It's Pee-wee's fault. But love is love. That's not what they mean. But what they're saying is that you just love whoever you want. But there are still limitations. There are still things out there. You see, how did Christ love us? Well, one, he gave himself for us in through that he died. Fair enough. But also, how did he love us? Well, because he taught us, he preached to us, and he healed us. See, that's how he walked in love. That's how we walk in love. Are we willfully willing to lay down our lives for him? I mean, everybody says yes until you got a gun in your face. Let's look at another one. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. This is Paul talking. What does he mean? All right, you can do what I do because I am doing what Christ did. So you can look to me as an example because I am following the steps of Christ. Well, what did Paul do? Well, we know that Paul went into the synagogue every time he showed up in a new city and he taught there. Sometimes it was weeks in a row. We know that he preached the kingdom because he talks about it. We know that he healed because he talked about it. And I don't know if you know this or not, but he also died. He died for his beliefs. He died because of the message that he was preaching. What killed Jesus? The message that he was preaching. The actions he was taking. What killed Paul? The same exact thing. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. That should be our thing that we say to our children. That should be the thing we say to our neighbors. That should be the things we say to our friends. The problem is many of us aren't really imitating Christ. We're imitating a version of Christ that we like that's comfortable. Imitate me because I'm not a bad person. I don't say too many cuss words. I don't get too drunk too often. I don't speed. I don't run. You know, I put my seatbelt on every time I'm in the car. Those are dumb things. But imitate me as I imitate Christ. Let's look at another one. Matthew chapter 10, verse 21. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Newsflash. The world does not like you if you're imitating Christ. The world will embrace you if you imitate their version of Christ, this all-inclusive, all-loving, no-standards version of Jesus. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in the city, flee to another. For assuredly I say to you, 
you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Who is he talking about? Who's the, who's the teacher? Who's the master? It's Jesus. You see, they're going to hate you because you're his disciple. You're his servant. It's enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. In other words, are we truly being like Christ? We have to look in the mirror. We have to ask that question. I can't answer that for you. Only you can answer that. Don't convince yourself you are. Look at the reality of what he did. Am I doing this? Let's look at another one. Luke chapter 6, verse 39. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Who will you be like? Who is he referring to? Himself. Perfectly trained. You could say perfectly equipped. Because training is equipping. So in other words, when we get back to the Word of God and just say what it says and do what it says to do, we can be like Christ. Let's look at another one. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay, now stop. Those are the fivefold ministry gifts. We talk about them all the time. He gave them. He gave some to be. That means not everybody will be, but some are. And why did he give them? To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Are they doing the work of the ministry? No. They're equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. Why? It edifies the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of faith, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. What are you supposed to grow up into? Christ. Which means what? At some point, you better be teaching, you better be preaching, you better be healing, and you better be willing to lay down your life. You see, he spoke the truth in love. Meaning what? Is it loving to ignore reality? If an oncoming bus is heading this direction and somebody's about to step out in the street, which is more loving? To yell at them? To run and grab them? Or to sit back and be like, well, I don't want to offend their choices. Of course it's more loving. How much do you have to hate somebody to have the cure to cancer in your hands and not share that with them? How much do you have to hate somebody to have the key to eternity inside of you and not tell somebody? Their response isn't your problem. Your willingness to be obedient is. You see, the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry was done by God through these gifts that He gave. But to be carried up no longer as children, that means that children are tossed to and fro, right? They hear a new, another TV preacher. Oh, did you hear what he said? Yeah, I think that's right. They read a new book. Oh, yeah, I think that's right. You know what the basis of all of that needs to be? Not the TV preacher, not the book. It's this. And this is the problem. We don't know how to read it. We don't read it. We just kind of, we go through and find verses that make ourselves feel good. That's all we do. This is chicken soup for the soul, unfortunately. We're too me-centered. We're not here doing the work of the ministry. We're here being consumers of the ministry. 
We have a job to do. Let's look at another one. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed to what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. How are we going to be like Him? That is the ultimate goal, is that we will be more like Him. What manner of love has the Father bestowed on us? He can now call us the children of God. Let's look at another one, 1 John chapter 4. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Do you realize that this verse does not apply to everybody that's sitting in church today? Not this church, all the church. As he is, so are we. It should say, as he is, so we should be. Because we're not doing these things. We are not fulfilling the mission that Christ has put upon us and the responsibility that he has done. Because you know when I say somebody like, man, everybody ought to teach. Everybody a good teacher? No, of course not. That's a learned thing. You learn how to do it. But everybody should be teaching something. Everybody should be declaring the truth of the gospel. Is everybody a great orator? No. Does everybody have great boldness to walk up to a stranger off the street and say, hey, you're going to hell? I'm not advising that, but I'm just saying. Of course not. Everybody's different. Does that give you an excuse? No. Does everybody have the ability to lay hands on the sick and see them recover? According to Mark, they do. Does everybody do it? No. Have you ever prayed for somebody that didn't get healed? Yeah, me too. What do you do with it? I don't know. I just lay hands on them. I just do what I'm told. See, the thing is, is that we make excuses of why we can't do that. Oh, a prophet's not without honor in his hometown. Everybody's known me my entire life. Well, good. Change their perception of you. Let them think you're one of those wacky Christians that never shuts up about Jesus. What a shame that would be. So let's look at this. You see, what's happened in the work of Christ is he's bringing everything full circle. You've heard me make this statement before, but in Genesis, we have paradise lost. In Revelation, we have paradise regained. And everything in between is just the steps that God took to get us here. I, like you, wish there was a microwave that would have done this much quicker. However, here we are. And so when we begin to look at that, we have to ask the question, what was God's original intent for mankind when he created them? Now, we're not going to spend a ton of time in this, but we're going to look at this just for a moment. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, the cattle, the, all the earth, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. All right, what does this mean? What do we think that it means? What we think that it means is that God and you and I look a lot alike. And that is wrong. You know what God looks like? Me neither. What does this mean? The Hebrew word for in our image means in our imager. It's a, it's, a, it's a Hebrew word meaning imager. It means a representative. You are here as my image, according to our likeness. And then what did he tell you to do? As my image bearer, you will have dominion over everything. So he created them as his image bearer, male and female as their image bearer. What was their job? See, to understand the garden, and I went into this a little bit on Wednesday night um, in Genesis, 
We think of the garden as this flowery place and all this other stuff, and the whole world essentially was the garden. But that's not what it says. You see, God created everything, and then in chapter 2 it says he planted a garden eastward in Eden, then he took the man and placed him in there. So Eden had locality. Eden was not the entire world. And Adam and Eve's job was to have dominion over that and to expand the garden. And the garden is where God's domain was. He created his heavenly beings that were on the earth, i.e. Lucifer, the serpent. There was a mountain. There was all this stuff going on. I don't want to go into this. But man, being the apple of God's eye, was created on the earth to have what? Dominion. To be his representative on the earth. That's exactly what man was created to do. And so as we look at this, like, okay, well, that's fine. I get that. But what happened? Man's sin, the light of God no longer was covering them, and God has to take a number of steps in order to bring mankind back in fellowship with God. Ultimately, what's going to happen? We are going to die, some of us. Some of us will be alive in what we call the rapture, but all of us will be resurrected with new bodies. Fair enough? Okay, now let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, God... Verse 1, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now let's break this down. How did God speak to the people before? Through prophets. How did God speak to the people in the beginning? Through fellowship. When the sin occurred, fellowship was broken. God no longer spoke to the people through the same mechanism. Thus, the prophets came. The prophets were God's representatives. They were the mouthpiece of God. And so they would declare whatever the message is that God had given them. And what happens if they stepped out on their own and they were no longer giving God's message? They'd be wrong and they'd be stoned. At least they were supposed to be. In fact, sometimes when they were being God's express image and being His mouthpiece and saying what He said, what happened then? They too were stoned because they didn't like the message. Must not have been loving enough. It's a shame. So, in these last days, what has he done? He's spoken through his son, Jesus himself. God himself is on earth, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. How was the world made? Through Jesus. If you look at Luke chapter 3, you see the genealogy. It goes backwards. The son of Adam, the son of God. God was there in the beginning, Jesus being there, he was part of the creation. So he wasn't a created being, he was the creator, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. That is God's imager right there. Jesus was the image of God on the earth in that moment. Adam and Eve were the image of God in the garden. You and I need to be the image of God right now. You see, we get confused when we hear things like, uh, in the Ten Commandments, don't take the Lord's name in vain. What do we think that means? Well, don't use His name in a cuss word. Well, I've got news for you. That's a good thing not to do. But that's not what that means. It means that do not take on His name in vain. 
just haphazardly call yourself a child of God and do what you want. Because what were the Israelites? They were God's chosen people through Abraham, to be his representative on the earth. This is a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood set apart by God. If you follow my commandments, and by doing so, you will be representing my goodness to the entirety of the world, then you will be blessed. If you go the other way, you will be cursed. What do you want to do? They agreed to it, and they immediately broke it. But what happened when God brought them out of Egypt? Word spread of what happened, how the Red Sea was split and they went through on dry land. It made them going into the promised land. Everybody was afraid of them because they had heard what God had done. You see, they were being his representative. They were doing their part. God did his part. Word got around of what he was doing. Jesus was God's image on the earth, given to us. Now we are God's image on the earth, or at least we should be. But there was another commandment given in Genesis. Chapter 1, verse 28 says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So let's talk about this. Did you realize that being fruitful and multiplying is not the same thing? Being fruitful means to be productive. You can have an apple tree, but if it doesn't make apples, who cares what kind of tree it is? It doesn't make any difference. You want to say apricot tree, Kyle? Yeah, she, had, she never gets her apricot. She's always sad. How many, how many harvests in 20 years did you say? One. Yeah, that should be in the smoker is what I think. But the thing is, is, is think about this. We're to be, they were to be fruitful. So to be doing what they're supposed to, and then multiply. In other words, make more imagers of God because they're in direct fellowship with them. They were to fill the earth and have dominion over. Subdue it is not a battle cry. It is expanding. You are bringing everything in here. Every living thing that moves on the earth, they were supposed to have dominion over. They were supposed to, but what happens? They fall to the temptation, Eve falls to the temptation. Adam willfully lays down his life. You see, we have to understand this. So what happened at that point? Did they stop making children? No. But they were not in the express image of God at that point any longer. God had to intervene for that to happen, and he did. But look at John chapter 12, verse 23. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now, we blow through this all the time, but think about this. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's saying, my time has come. When a grain of wheat goes into the ground, it dies, and it produces a little sapling. I don't know what they call it, a little seedling. Yoli, where are you at? Help me out. There you are. Okay, we're going with that. And it doesn't produce one more seed, it produces multiple seeds. And Jesus is using this as himself. Remember, Jesus, the express image of God on this earth, everything he said and everything he did is an example of how we should live. He laid down his life, and as a result of that, the message of God has spread across the entirety of the earth. He empowered them with the Spirit. He said, don't go out, 
You wait. Hang out in Jerusalem until I'm done. When the Spirit comes on, you'll have everything you need. They already knew the Scriptures. Everything you need will be inside of you. Now that image has the presence of God dwelling inside of them, taking it everywhere they go. So now the church, the body of Christ, can be fruitful and multiply because the seed had died and has produced thousands and thousands and millions of disciples all the way around the world, which brings it back to you and I. You and I are a result of the work of the apostles because they spread that message and they went out there and they taught and they preached and they healed and they ultimately died. And from that point on, thousands have followed in their footsteps in teaching and preaching and healing and dying. And you're here as a result today of somebody in your life that shared this message with you. And somebody shared that message with them. And it keeps trickling back because Jesus laid the life down. And here we are today. We've lost this. We've become consumers. We write worship songs that are centered around us. Ask not what your God can do for you. I won't finish that. Look at John chapter 4, verse 34. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Do you not say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. You know what we've got our problem is? We've got our heads down. We're just trying to get by until He comes. We're not thriving. We're not pushing. We're not producing. Do you guys realize that disciples aren't born, that they are made we don't disciple anymore. We don't, we don't do any of the same. We turn it over to the church structure and say, okay, you get people saved. Okay, you get people taught. Okay, you do this. Here's the thing. Every one of us should be teaching the scriptures in our home. And every one of us should be sharing that love with our neighbors. And every one of us should be praying for the sick when we hear about it. But we don't. Why? Because we don't really believe this. You see, Adam and Eve were the image of God. Christ was the image of God. You and I need to be the image of God. We need to look up because the fields are ready. It's time to go. We're going to dig into this deeper and understanding why Jesus did what he did. We can talk about the what all day long, but we don't know why. What moved him? And this is where we've lost it. Is what moved Jesus to act the way he did on the earth does not move us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you sent your son to die for us, to give his life for us as a ransom for many, that we can come and know you, that we can be in your presence, that we can be your image bearer, Lord. But we thank you that it was his love and compassion and mercy that he went around doing all the work that he did as an example for us, Lord. And I thank you that you put a fire in our bellies, that we would do the exact same thing, that we will stop justifying our behavior, stop making excuses, but we'll get serious about the commands that you have given us to do, to act on this earth and to be who you have called us to be. And so, Lord, we give you the glory and thank you that you have given us opportunities that perhaps we haven't taken. And for that we repent, Lord, but I thank you that each and every day that we are on this earth is an opportunity to preach, to teach, to heal, and to give glory to you. Father, we thank you for all the things that you've done and continue to do in our lives. 
that we can be useful for your kingdom. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We will see you Wednesday.